Well, today is week three of our Harvest series. And I'll just say this. If you've not been here for the first couple weeks, um, I really honestly have been waiting for a very long time, felt compelled to the Lord to preach about this topic um, and to wait until the harvest time to do it, fall in Wisconsin. And so I've been waiting and waiting and waiting and just kind of feel like the green light from the Lord. And if you've not been here the first couple weeks, you have missed any of them, just go on the website and listen to the messages. I really believe, here's the thing, God speaks to his church. We've got this goofy idea in our culture today that I'll just go here one day and here another day. That's not God's plan. He makes you part of a body. And part of the reason it doesn't work is God speaks to you. And one of the ways he speaks to you is through your pastor. And so when you're always gone somewhere, you don't hear the message God's trying to communicate. So you say, oh, you're just trying to boost attendance. No, I'm not. I want to help you. And so if you've missed these, I'm saying we put it out there on the website. So you can go and listen if you miss them, if you're sick or you are gone. Because God has something to say. And I believe if we, I told one of our staff, if we would simply as a church grasp the message of these four Sundays I'm talking about, I honestly believe we'd, we'd transform our community. If this group of people right here would honestly get on board, including me, would honestly get on board with what I'm simply talking about these weeks, we would see a transformation in Ozaki County. I believe it that strongly. Why? Because it's Mark's word? No, it's not Mark's word at all. It's God's word. And God's got something for us. So today is our third week of our Harvest series, um, where we are, we're taking some time to focus on what should be the most exciting and the most rewarding activity we can engage in as followers of Jesus. Who watched the Packer game on Thursday? Was it exciting? It was exciting at first. Uh, I love watching the Vikings get stomped on. So it was exciting. Was it rewarding? It was incredibly rewarding for me because the Vikings got stomped on, you know? Let me tell you, there's nothing you can do in this world, the Vikings getting beat by the pack, nothing else, no activity, no fun, that is remotely as exciting and rewarding as being engaged as a follower in Jesus in reaching lost people from Christ. The most rewarding and exciting thing you could ever engage your energies into is helping other people discover what you have discovered if you know Jesus, that God loves to forgive people. Can you imagine that? People walk around. Your friends and neighbors and coworkers and family members believe that God is mad at them. They do. If you ask them about God, they, be, they believe God's a mean old guy sitting in heaven with a big stick waiting to thump them. That's not the gospel. We get this incredible opportunity to help people discover that God loves them, that God wants to forgive them, and he desires to bless everybody who comes into a right relationship with him and then follows his leadership. We get the opportunity to help people to untangle the mess they believe that's inspired by the enemy, to untangle that mess, clearly communicate the gospel to them, and watch their lives transformed right before our eyes. There's nothing more exciting or more rewarding than being engaged in that. Even the Packers stomping on the Vikings, it doesn't get better. We've had a theme verse for this series as we're going through this. And I want us to, to read it together. So I put it up there so we all have the same translation. This is what's inspiring us these, these weeks that we're together. So read this with me. It says this. Do not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Jesus is saying this. He says, listen, church. Today he'd write this. He'd say, Hey, Portview, look up. Portview, look up. 
He's saying, stop doing what you're doing. Stop being engaged in what you're being engaged in right now. No matter how important you might think that is, Jesus tells the crowd, look up. Stop doing what you're doing and realize that it's harvest time. That there are people all around us that are empty and they're hurting and they're looking for answers that only Jesus can give. That is the reality of the world through Jesus' eyes when he looks at the world around us. And he wants us to see it the same way. So we, as followers of Jesus, want to be involved in helping um, people come to meet Jesus. So we're spending this time um, trying to get better equipped for the harvest. And what I've been doing is saying I'm giving you some tools for harvest. And that's what each one of these weeks is talking about. Some very practical tools that you can use to be better, better equipped at actually bringing in people to Jesus. The first week, the tools we talked about dealt with our heart. We looked at the heart of a harvester, um, a heart that believes this. It absolutely believes, based on the word of God, that all people matter to God. All people. And that that belief that goes from here to here will compel you into action. It will make you, it'll mess with you so you just can't walk by opportunities that Jesus is giving you to share his truth with somebody who's lost because you're, you understand how much God loves them and it compels you to action. So we looked at that week one. Week two, we talked about the fact that, praise the Lord, we're all different by design. And then if you've got this idea of telling people about Jesus, that means you've got to take a Bible, go stand on a street corner and yell through a megaphone like some people do, that, that you don't have to do that. That that's not the way it is at all. And we looked at different styles of the harvester and how you use your unique style with, some, with the investment of our time and our relationships and the leading of the Holy Spirit. How those things, those tools, we talked about how they're tools, linked together helps us to be better at harvest. Now today, I want to talk to you about some more tools that you can use to be a more effective harvester. And the way we've been launching this off is every week I've been telling you a harvest story. Some from the scriptures, some from personal experience. Harvest stories, and out of those stories we're drawing the, the realities, the principles of the use of these tools. So what I want to tell you today, and to start off, is tell you another harvest story. Um, and we're going to draw out of that then some tools that will help you to be better. So here's the harvest story for today. A number of years ago, and these are all real stories, so I'm telling you I'm not making them up. A number of years ago I was introduced to a man... Um, through relatives, through his relatives, that seemed to be about as far from Jesus as one could be. Ever meet those people? You know, there's just no doubt. They, they want nothing to do with Jesus, and, and they're just far from it. They don't even think about it. They don't really care about it. And the person was just a, a really rough person that, that didn't seem to have any real concern about spiritual matters. Matter of fact, always seemed to be actually the opposite about spiritual matters, kind of combative towards those things. But this guy had some family members who were Christians, and they were wanting to grow themselves spiritually, and they began to attend the church that I pastored. And we began, myself and these people, began to pray for that family member who was incredibly rough and was far from God. And so I did what I always do, is I tried to befriend uh, this guy. Um, and Because remember the tools, this tool, one of the tools from last week is relationship. So I wanted to build a relationship with this person. And I would try to talk to the person and try to connect with the person and try to look for opportunities to have any kind of real spiritual, even just, remember we talked about looking for opportunities, just kind of push the door. And every time I pushed the door, they were kicked right back in my face. I'm like, okay, so just keep building the relationship. But in time, 
Um, matter of fact, over probably a period of, of over a year, um, I began to at least build a, a, res, a relationship with the person where I think at least there was a level of respect um, that when the person would dish it out, they realized I could take it. And that's happened with so many people over the years, especially with guys. They all think they're so tough. And so they all think you're a preacher, so you're a wuss. And so they realize, I always say I'm tougher than you. And I always tell them what I've done in my life. And I go, like, you haven't done anything like me. You're a pansy. And so, so I do that to try to just banter with people and realize that we can just build a relationship of respect. And you know what? You can respect me and, and you can trust me. And, and uh, after a period of time, at least I think this person began to trust me. And one day, uh, and this has happened numbers of times, one day this person called me and said, I need to talk to you. And I was kind of alarmed, not alarmed, shocked, surprised. Like, you want to actually talk? To me, you know, you're not just going to, I'm not just happen to be in a, in a mutual situation where I'm with your family member and I'm happening to rub shoulders with you at a, at a family event or whatever else. And, and she said, yeah. And so this is maybe after a year of, of having somewhat of, of me very intentionally trying to build a relationship and the other person trying to be as difficult as they could. And so um, I told the person, let's get together. And we met and, uh, and we talked. And it seemed to me that we were talking about what we'd always talked about. You know, that, that I was just talking about the same basic kind of things. But to the guy, this is what I all of a sudden noticed. And this is why you've got to have eyes that are open to see what God's doing around you. I understood that something was starting to break through. And it seemed that the concepts I was talking about this time, which in my opinion I'd talked about a hundred times, were suddenly revolutionary to this person. And that day, he's, this person asked me a question. He says, as they're sitting there, he says, what makes you think I'm good enough to be forgiven and accepted by God? And I said, whoever told you you're good enough? Where did you ever believe for a second that you're good enough? Matter of fact, you're not good enough. And the person's looking at me like, you arrogant little whatever. And I said, and neither am I. And neither is anybody. Neither is the Pope and neither is... You know, neither is George Wood, the head of the Assemblies of God. None, neither is Billy Graham. None of us is good enough. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. No one deserves forgiveness and salvation from God. No one can work hard enough. No one can earn it. It's all about grace. It's all about receiving a gift of forgiveness and eternal life from Jesus. So I went on to explain the gospel, which to me I thought I had done a lot of times before. Um... And something just clicked. And the person accepted Christ as Savior and began a life of, of moving forward with Jesus and is still moving forward with Jesus. Now, here's the point to this, to this harvest story. The tool that I needed to use that day to help this person move to a point of receiving Jesus, and it was only one of the many tools that had probably been used in this person's life, but the tool that I needed to have sharpened and ready to use that day was the tool of having the ability to clearly communicate the truth of the gospel to another person. I needed to be able to clear. Now, notice, I used all the tools that we talked about last week. I used relationship before that. I used time. I used the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I used my, my unique giftings and my unique style. I used all those things. Most of you wouldn't tell somebody that they're a pansy when you're trying to win them to Christ. I've done it a hundred times probably with rough and tough guys. I pastored the UP for Pete's sakes. They're all a bunch of loggers who have chainsaws everywhere they go. You know, you got to let them know that, that, that Christianity was for tough men. 
and it works. So that's my style. It's no one else's style. It's my style. I've seen it work for me a lot. Don't you probably try it if it's not your style because somebody's going to punch you, you know. <laughs> but I used all those things. But what I needed that day, I didn't need to be tough. The relationship was built. Time had passed. I'd been following the prompting of the Holy Spirit. All those things have been going on. My heart was compelled, the tool of, of, of knowing all people matter to God. But what I needed that day is I needed a very clear, a very sharp, effective harvest tool that allowed me to, to clearly communicate the truth of the gospel. Because I recognize this, oh, this person doesn't get it. They're thinking this, but it's really this. And I had to understand the gospel and be able to very clearly communicate that. And friend, that's the tool that I want to help you with today. I want to help you with the tool today I want to give you is, a, is to give you the tool of the message of the harvester. What do you say to someone about Jesus? Now understand, um, when I'm saying this, I'm not trying to give you something you memorize. I'm going to give you something I'm actually going to draw you some things as well. So you can memorize it. What I'm saying is you don't walk in every situation and go, here's the three points that I must do. It doesn't work. It's all based on having all the tools in your toolbox and using the right one at the right time. Okay? So the right one at the right time that day happened to be I had to be able to clearly communicate the gospel. So I was able to pull that out of the toolbox. I just didn't go day one, let me pull, clearly, let me pull this out of the toolbox. The person wouldn't have got it. I had to build a relationship first. I had to spend time first. So you, have to, you pull them out as the Holy Spirit leads you to pull them out. So I want to give you a tool for me able to clearly communicate the gospel. Listen to what I think about us as a group, as people. I think we kind of understand the gospel. We kind of understand salvation, the salvation message, but probably not as well as we may think we do or maybe as we hope we do. And the reason is, when I talk to people, they can't really, a lot of times really tell me what they believe. And that keeps us from discussing it with other people because we're afraid that maybe we won't have answers that they have questions they ask or we might not... Um, even be able to really just explain things clearly, and so we just don't talk. But Scripture says something to us as believers. It says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. It's in First Peter chapter 3. Always be prepared to give an answer to somebody. So as followers of Jesus, it's really expected by God that we know what we believe and we're able to explain it, and that's what I want to help you today. So first, what I want to do is I want to give you a simple explanation of the gospel so that you really get your hands around it, so you can say this is what it's really about, and then I'm going to give you some tools, some ways of explaining that message to someone else. I want you to understand the gospel message clearly because sometimes I think you can honestly be a believer and not really understand it clearly because we've heard all this mixed stuff for all these years from all the media and lives and different churches and whatever. So in order to explain the gospel, I want to explain to you this one thing, the core idea of the gospel. I want you to pay attention to this. And you say, well, I couldn't follow all this. I want you to get the, go on the podcast later and listen to it. Okay? The core idea of the gospel. And I'm going to tell you this. For some of you, this is going to be a review. And it's going to reinforce what you already know, and that's a good thing. And for some of you, it's going to maybe make the lights go on, like it did to that guy that day. And Christianity was going to make sense. To, and today might be the day that changes your life for eternity. Because for the first time you understand the gospel and you ask Christ in your life. To get us started on explaining this before I say, before I give you the tools on how you can then explain it. I'm going to explain it and then say, now here's how you can communicate it. To get you started, I want to just talk about two words 
that are going to sound really theological and really kind of uh, complicated, but they're not at all. I'm going to show you how, comp- how easy they are. This is the, the core of the gospel. These two words, substitutionary atonement. That's the core of the gospel. Now, don't ever talk to anybody about Jesus and talk about substitutionary atonement. But we're, for the most part, people who have a relationship with Jesus. I want to explain the gospel to you by explaining these two words, substitutionary atonement. Let's start with atonement. Think about some recent crime that's been committed. When I thought about this, I thought about the brutal beheadings of the two American journalists by ISIS um, that just went on a few weeks ago. Those actions were barbaric. And people all over the world were and are outraged by what happened and all the copycats that are going on now. So outraged to the point that now a multinational coalition has been formed by countries and militaries that are currently bombing ISIS locations and they are trying to find the individuals responsible for the heinous crimes. And they think like they think they know who the one man is who's actually been the one on the videotape. They're going through all this effort to try to find these individuals that are responsible for a reason. People want justice. We want justice. People want those responsible for their actions to make an appropriate payment for their crimes. Right? That's what's going on. People want those responsible to make an appropriate payment for their crimes. Listen, friends. That's the, that idea of appropriate payment for a crime is essentially what atonement is. That's what atonement is. Atonement is satisfying the demands of justice when a crime has been committed. When a crime has been committed, we say it must be paid for. It must be atoned for. Someone must be brought to justice for the crime that was committed. So this guy does something heinous, and we say justice says they must pay for the crime. Does that make sense? That's what atonement is. Atonement is saying somebody must pay for the crime that's been committed. Now, let's move on to the next word. That's atonement. Now let's look at the word substitutionary. Another way to look is the word substitution. Now we all understand this. We get this. It's what the Chicago Bears do. Whenever the Packers knock Jay Cutler out of the game, they bring in a substitute quarterback, right? Some of you, I've got some Bear fans in here maybe, but that's what substitutionary is. A substitutionary is what happens when a substitute is brought in place of another person. Now put those two words together. Substitutionary atonement. It's somebody taking the place of someone else and satisfying the demands of justice when a crime has been committed. It's someone paying the penalty that someone else owes for the crime they've committed. That makes sense? Friends, that's the core idea of Christianity. Scripture teaches that a crime has been committed, that mankind chose to reject God's word and God's ways all the way back in the garden with Adam and Eve, and instead to follow Satan's ways of sin and rebellion. And every person since has done the same thing. It's a sin, it's a crime to reject God. And God, being perfect and just, says that there would be a judgment against that sin. And he said it before the first sin was ever committed. He said, if you do it, what will happen? You will what? You will die. He says the punishment against sin is death. 
And God said if mankind chose to reject him and his ways, that the result would be death. That mankind, who were created to be eternal, would suffer physical and spiritual death. And friends, it was all about mercy. That God, in his mercy, looked at mankind and said, if you, if you sin, you're going to be living in a lost situation, and I can't let you live in that lost situation for all of eternity, so death will, re- will occur to end it for you. And you know what? God was right. You see, check it out with me. Go to the newspaper today. Read your statistics. The death rate among humans is hovering right at about 100%. Right? Everybody dies. Everybody dies. Because of sin, God said humankind would die. And the death rate, he's been right, the death rate's hovering right at 100%. The demands of justice are being met. Because of sin, because a crime's been committed, justice must, must occur and a penalty must be paid. But then along comes this guy, and his name is Jesus. And the prophet of that day, when Jesus was, was on earth, was a guy named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist says something amazing about Jesus. He's walking up one day, and he looks at him, and he says to the whole crowd, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. John was referring to the fact that up until Jesus' time, God had established a system through which mankind could transfer the guilt of their sinful actions onto another that would pay the price for their sins that they had committed. God had established a system where an innocent animal would be sacrificed. It would be a substitute. And it would die in place of the guilty person. And the animal would be the substitute and, and dying in that place They would satisfy the demands of justice. God said, because of sin, you're going to die. And he said, but a substitute's going to be given. The animal will die in your place. Now, friends, that whole system was designed for one purpose, to look forward to, to foreshadow a day when Jesus, God himself, would come into our world and to say to mankind, he'd say, yes, you are guilty because of sin. And because of your guilt, justice says you must die. But I, God himself, I, me, God, not me, God, him, God, will be your substitute. That he will take our place. That he will receive the death sentence that we deserve and that he will give us forgiveness and freedom and eternal life instead. Friends, that's what Jesus did on the cross. That's salvation. That's the gospel. He took our place as a substitute to atone for our sins. He satisfied the demands of justice for the crimes that we committed. And in love, he took your place and he paid the debt that you owed. Friends, that's the core idea of Christianity. And when I was talking to that man in my office that day, And he said to me, what makes you think I'm good enough for God? My answer was, you're not. But Jesus took care of that. He was your substitute in place. And I explained this core idea of Christianity. That's the gospel. That's what we need to explain to people when they come to Christ. You say this, but Pastor Mark, how am I going to put that whole tool in my toolbox? You just took 
Ten minutes exactly, from six after to 16 after. Ten minutes to explain it. And, and I can't remember everything you said. What I want to do is I want to, for the rest of our time together, for about 15 minutes, I want to give you some tools that you can use to explain the core idea of Christianity to others. Basically a way of simplifying this message I just said in some easy way. I want to give you these three tools. One that's biblical, one that's visual, and one that's verbal. Okay? So first the biblical. Now, what I mean by biblical, I don't mean the other ones aren't biblical. I mean rather one that you can grab your Bible. You're you're, you're dealing with somebody like I was growing up. I went to a mainline church. I heard the gospel. I honestly believe God, the Bible was God's word. I honestly believe Jesus was the Son of God. I honestly believe He died. I honestly believe He rose from the dead. I honestly believe there was a heaven and a hell, but I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. I didn't. I wasn't born again. And a lot, there's our whole community, that's probably half our community that's around us right now. They do believe all that, but they don't have a real relationship with Jesus. They're not born again. They're the kind of person that you take your Bible out and you say, let me explain to you. The gospel. And this is how you do it. It's something you've all heard about, or may, maybe some of you haven't, but it's something very simple, three steps, called the Romans Road. Romans Road. Now you do this. You write this down. When I was a brand new Christian, I had a Bible. I had tabs put in it at each one of these scriptures, and the tab told me how to turn to the next scripture. So that I could systematically take a person through the Romans Road and explain to them the gospel. Here's an interesting thing. Some of you are going, oh, the Romans Road. I know that. Ask yourself, when have you ever used it? When was the last time you walked somebody down Romans Road? Ask. Think about it. Three steps. Underline them or mark them in your Bible. Grab your Bible. Turn to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 3. Look at three things. Just at minimum, circle these three. And if, when you write on the first one, you write a circle. Then when I give you the next scripture reference, write that in the margin. So you can say from this one, I go to the next one. Then write that next one in the margin. From this one, I go to that one. Three verses, very simple. And they're going to explain what I just took ten minutes to explain. Romans 3, chapter verse, verse 23, 323. A lot of you can probably quote it from memory. It says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. You start there with a person, you explain to them, listen, the Bible says all people have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All people are guilty. Kind of like we talked about the, the, the heinous crime of the, of the one who beheaded somebody. We might not have done that. But the Bible says right here, we all are guilty. We all have sinned. And I, I've always asked people this, have you ever sinned? I've never met one person in my life who said, no, I didn't sin ever. We all know we have. We've all sinned. I left, I want, what we're trying to do with Romans 3.23 is show them we've all sinned. And because we've all sinned, we all, we all miss the mark. We all fall short of the glory of God, of God's perspective. So we're, so we're, we're, we're in debt. We all fall short. Then, right there, Romans 6.23 in your margin. And then turn to Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23 says this. Remember, we just Romans 3.23, we can, we're all sinners. Now, Romans 6.23 says this, the result of sin. For the wages, or the thing you earned... The wages of sin is death. But the gift, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you say, you know, we're all sinners, that's right, and that's the bad news. The good news is here, and still the bad news, but because we're sinners, Romans 6.23 says, and what we've earned because of sin is we're going to die. He explained to them the fact that it's physical death. Take them back to the garden and explain Adam and Eve, and it's physical death, but it's also eternal spiritual death. 
that we're, we're going to die because of it. But then God doesn't leave us in limbo for long and says, but, remember I always tell you I'm going to preach a sermon and God loves big butts. It's a big but right here. But the gift of God is eternal life. I don't know what you're thinking about when I said that. I don't know. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's a gift. He offers us eternal life. He said, I'm going to let you there, let you in death, but I give you a gift. And our sins have earned us the death penalty. Justice demands it. But God has a gift for you, eternal life. You can freely receive God's forgiveness and his pardon from the death penalty that we owed. Jesus paid it on the cross. It's a gift. It can't be earned. It's just received. And you explain this to them. And friends, the reason you have to think of these things in advance is so that on a, on a spot you can instantly say, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, and then you go to this, Romans 10.13. Romans 10.13. Again, write that by Romans 6.23 so you know where to turn next. Romans 10.13, one of the greatest verses in all the Bible. It says, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. All we have to do is to recognize the fact that we have sinned and we're separated from God and we deserve death and we call out to God because remember, He's the one calling our names and we're saying, yes, Lord. We call back and say, I'm coming, Lord. I'm responding to you, Lord. And we receive forgiveness. Everyone who calls on the name, remember, He's calling first and we're saying, yes, God. I'm recalling back to you and we receive forgiveness and eternal life. Friends, that's the Roman road. Learn it. Make the, mark the verses in your Bible. Lead people through it at the appropriate time. It's a tool people have been using as long as I've been a believer and long before that, the Romans road. You go, well, that was nothing revolutionary. The reason I asked you this is how many of you have used it? It doesn't do us any good to have a tool in our, in our tool pouch we never use. Right? That makes sense? David doesn't do you any good, does it, to have a bunch of harvesting equipment and the soybeans are ready and the corn are ready? Go, yeah, but we're not going to use those, right? Farmers wouldn't do that. We're doing something more important than harvesting corn, as important as that is. We're doing something more important. We've got tools in our toolbox. They need to be sharp and ready and, and, and use them. So that's the first one. So that was a, a biblical one. Now let's quickly go through a visual one. And here's one that you've all probably heard on, and we're going to switch this thing so it's on the screens too so you can see what I'm what I'm writing. This is one that, that maybe most of you have heard about before called the bridge illustration. The bridge illustration starts like this. You tell a person. You see it up there? Soon? All right. The bridge illustration says this. It starts off with the same message I told you earlier. All people matter to God. Right? Everybody's important to God. So, so it's us and it's God. And that because of sin in the world, we talked about, because God and us, because of sin, we're separated from God. And what happens in our life because of sin is there's a great chasm between us and God, this great gap between us and God. And you know what? I know you would like to be with God, but there's this gap. And the Bible says that the the gap that's there is because of sin, that because we rejected God, mankind rejected God, and when every one of us was born, you were born on this side. Little newsflash. As much as I love the Teen Challenge thing, um, Phil Robertson didn't really get it 100% right. You aren't, you aren't perfect when you're a little kid. Um, we are all born on this side of the gap. Every one of us. That's what the Bible says. We're born there. You're born in a position where you're not in a right relationship with God. And you want to be by God. You're hearing God's voice. But you say, but I'm not in a right relationship. And we have humanly all kinds of attempts to get to God. 
that we say, you know what, I'm going to try religion. I'm going to try religion to get to God, but you know what, none of us can jump that gap and we fall down, and we fall down here, what we come into is what? Death. Another word for this is hell. I know it's not popular to talk about anymore, but that's the reality of the Bible. You try religion, you try good works, you try giving lots of money to things of God, you try to not swear for a month, you try to do whatever you want to do, you try all these things to get over to God, and you can't do it. But God's got a message for you. He goes, he knows you can't get to this side, but he says, you know what, I want to be united with you, I want to forgive your sins, I want to be connected. So God says, I made a way for you to come close. He said the, the way is the cross of Jesus Christ. And he says, you know what? All you've got to do is come across. He said, I'm calling you. And so, friends, you know what? He says, you can join me. You can be my child. Whoever calls the name of the Lord will be saved. And so you're over here. And God's over here. And he says, you know what? I made a way for us to be together. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. And God's calling your name. It says no man comes to the Son unless the Father draws him. So God's calling you. He's bidding you come. And all you have to do is come through Jesus. You accept the fact that Jesus died in your place. He is the substitutionary atonement for your sin. That he paid the price. You deserve to be down here because of sin. But God said I love you so much I don't want you down here. And he makes a bridge across here. And then what you simply do to the persons you ask him right here. Where do you think you are on that? This is the part that usually gets people. You say, where do you think you are on that? And they've got to think about it. And they go, usually they go, well, I think I'm somewhere over here. And I'm trying all these things to get to God. That's where I was most of my life. I was trying religion. I was trying to be a nice guy. I was trying to balance the scales. If I just did enough good, then God would be happy with me. And I'd maybe somehow end up over here. Well, the Bible says you can do all the good in the world, but you're still going to end up down here. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But God made a way. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. This is something that a guy named Bill Bright developed years ago from Campus Crusade. There's probably been more people led to Christ in the last 50 years through this illustration than any other way. They understand. They see it. It's a visual aid. How do I get here? So you say, you know what, friends? You can come right over here. And you and God meet together. And you say, you know what? Can I pray with you to receive Jesus? If the, if the opportunity is right. It's the bridge illustration. And you know what you do? You draw it on a napkin in a restaurant. You pull out a piece of paper and you write it on the, on the back of a of your placemat. You take this anywhere. You, you memorize this thing so that you can tell anybody it whenever, wherever you go. Whenever they're saying, I don't understand, I don't have, because this is what I've heard over the years. R- really, dozens and dozens of times. Ring, ring, hello, this is Pastor Mark. Pastor Mark, you've got to help me. I don't know what to say. Somebody wants to get saved and I don't know how to pray with them. And I usually say this. Now listen, friend, I end every sermon the same way. I do the bridge illustration. You have heard me do the bridge illustration, if you've been in this church any length of time, hundreds of times. I do this at the end of every message. I just don't say what I'm doing. I go, and some of you are feeling like this right now, and God is doing this right now, and God made a way to bring you together. I do the bridge illustration every single week for you almost. That's what I tell people. I said, think about what I've taught you. And so, friends, memorize this thing. Be able to do it. Grab a, There's all kinds of tracks that have this on it, but I tell you this. I don't think the best way to do it is with a track. I think it's the worst way. Because it looks, it looks like you're, it's canned, and you don't really believe it, and you're kind of like doing a sales pitch. This is just a way of you explaining something. It's very simple. Anybody can master this, and in five minutes you can master this. So learn it. One more way, and this will be the quickest one of all. 
the a verbal way. You say you're in a situation, you don't got a time to draw a picture. They don't even care about the Bible. And so that doesn't work. So how can you verbally explain it? This is how I do it. And this is an original with me. I think this was original with Bill, with Bill Hybels. Um, this is the first person I ever heard use it. And he says this. You want to explain to somebody, because most people understand religion. Now, re- the Bible doesn't use religion as a bad word. It says there's good religion. Good and undefiled religion in the sight of God is to... Uh, the to uh, take care of widows and orphans in distress and stay unstained by the world. So religion isn't bad, but we usually use the term to say religion is all the attempts to get to God on man's, with man's effort. Okay? So this is the way I explain it to people, because most people get religion. And so I say, religion is spelled D-O. Do. Religion is spelled, now you're going to say, well, it's not spelled D-O. Bear with me. Religion is spelled D-O. Do. Because it consists of the things that people do to try to gain God's forgiveness and favor. But what we learned from the verses we looked at earlier, that the problem is you can never do enough. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's like, it's like having a, 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 a mark put before you that you're supposed to try to accomplish, but never knowing how high the goal is. You can never do enough. You never know if you do enough. And so religion is spelled D-O. But thankfully, Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. Done. Christianity is spelled done, which means that um, what we could possibly never do on ourselves, Jesus did already for us. That he lived a perfect life, and he willingly died on a cross to pay the penalty that we owed because of our wrongs that we have done, that he became our substitute in our place, he died for us, and to become a real Christian is to simply humbly receive God's gift of forgiveness and to commit to following his leadership trusting in what Jesus has done and following him the rest of your days. And that's, how, that's do versus done. Religion is things you do. Christianity, it's already done. Does that make sense? You can, what did that take me to explain that? Less than 60 seconds. And here's what will happen. When you're leading somebody to Christ, and you have that build that relationship, you'll probably go through all three of these at some point before a light bulb goes on and they get it. They don't know that you're trying to take them down a path, and you're not doing it for bad. You're not like somehow you're trying to convert them to your church. No, you're not. You're trying to make sure they don't end up down here because all people matter to God, and they matter to God. And so you so lovingly compel them with every tool you have to come to Jesus, to come to God through Jesus' Son. These are three simple tools that you can all use. Anybody can master these that all have the same objective, to help your friends and your family members understand the core idea of Christianity, the core idea of substitutionary atonement, that they can cross the bridge into a saving relationship with God. And I say these, learn these, practice these, so that you can be more effective at these. And you say, right, I'm really going to learn and practice those things. You know what I know about life? We learn and practice all kinds of things. We learn and practice all kinds of things um, from the, for the hobbies we do and the sports we do and ways we make money. We learn and practice all kinds of things. Friends, nothing can be more valuable to learn and practice than tools that allow you to help somebody come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. Church, you have an opportunity to engage in the eternal. Jesus said this, lift up your eyes. The fields are ripe for harvest. Right? Right. Now, I know we covered a lot of material today. Maybe two things have happened today. Number one, if you know Christ, Maybe something's clicked and you go, I can, underst- I can explain this more clearly now. I hope that's the case. The other thing is maybe you're here today 
And this has shed some light on what it means to be a Christian. That you're like, wow, I get it now. And you go, it makes sense. And I evaluate my life. I'm over here. But I hear God's voice calling and I want to be over here. If that's you, you know what? Remember what it said in Romans 10? To all those who call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you stand with me this morning? I want us to have a moment of prayer together. Maybe you're here and you say, I, I know that I'm on, on the wrong side of the chasm. And I've tried all kinds of things, all kinds of ways to come to know God. But I understand that I need the Lord. And I, something's going on inside of me right now. I understand that I have a need for the Lord and, and what I've tried in the past hasn't worked. And so today, what you want is you want to respond to his call, and I want to help you with that. So I'd simply say this, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you're here today, maybe it's you've been here for years or it's your first time in this building. It doesn't matter. But you recognize that you're far from God, and you've been attempting to get close to him, and nothing you've done has worked. The good news is he doesn't want you to earn it. He wants you to receive it. If you say, Pastor Mark, today, I'm ready to turn my life over to Jesus. I want to cross the bridge. And I want to become a child of God. That's you today. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I want a moment just between you and me and God. I want you to raise up your hand. No one's looking at you. I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you. When I see your hand, I'm going to ask you to put it back down. Just say, today, Pastor Mark, I want to receive Jesus. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you love us. God, we thank you that you've established us in this community to bring the simplicity and the truth of your gospel message to to people who don't know you. Lord, that we as a group want to obey your word that says, look up. Look up and see that the fields are ripe for harvest. So, Father, this morning... I pray that you would begin to burn these simple tools, truths into our heart and our minds. That we would take the necessary action needed to really commit these to memory. So that, Lord, when we follow you in the opportunities to come to know you, that, Lord, we would be able to respond. So, Father, thank you so much for dying for us, for being our substitutionary atonement. And God, I pray now that you would empower this church family to go out in grace and in strength and in power with ears and eyes wide open to your prompting so that this week we'd be able to see some ways that we could bring people closer to you. Bless this church, I pray, in Jesus' name.